Good morning. It's a beautiful day that certainly the Lord has made. It would be wonderful if we could peel back the ceiling today and enjoy it, even in this place. I want to start this morning with a love story. You all like love stories, right? It's not a love story that occurred between beautiful young people. In fact, it occurred in a Chicago nursing home. The woman in the story was in a wheelchair. She was limp. Her mind and her body had parted. She had vacant eyes. But every day, her husband, with his sturdy back and his smile and his strong singing voice, would come. And he would feed her spoonful by spoonful, hold her hands, push her wheelchair, and be with her. It was a picture of love. Even in that place, she was his. Well, I was young, and I watched them. He never stopped coming, and we kept thinking she would die, and she did not die. It was a picture of a man's faithful love for his wife, a love that bestowed honor and value on her. His affection protected her. Her hair was combed. She was well-fed. She was touched with tenderness. Now, it was a costly love. She didn't meet his needs as a man. She took. She didn't give. And yet, when I spoke to him, he said that he was doing what he'd promised to do, what he wanted to do. She was his wife, and he loved her. Now, I watched, and it seemed as if God daily protected that man with his presence, pouring his love into him so he could continue to love another with joy. I want to focus today on a story, a love story from Scripture, and it's not a story of a love between a man and a wife, but between Jesus and his friends, and particularly, again, between Jesus and his friend Peter. The scene has some of my favorite things in it. It has the sea, it has fishing, it has breakfast on the beach, and it has Jesus. And we find Peter again in the scene, and he's wet again. We find a risen Jesus there, too. He's provided a great catch of fish for his friends, and then he's made a fire on the beach and invited them for breakfast. Can you imagine what it would be like to have breakfast with Jesus on the beach? Can you? What would it have been like for Peter? How would he felt as Jesus, with those nail-pierced hands, fed him? Fed him a man stinking of sweat and fish and failure. Were there tapes running through Peter's head as he sat with Jesus, tapes that said, he's here with me, a loser, a loser. I denied him. I deserted him. I'm a loser. Well, those of us who have denied Jesus can imagine how Peter might have felt that day. I know I can. 
I can remember a day very vividly when I denied Jesus, and it actually happened my first week, my freshman year of college at Whitworth. Now, I'd come from a deeply committed Christian home, and I'd come without a deeply committed personal walk with Jesus. I kind of had this thing in my heart. I wanted to be free, and it just seemed like one gave up too much to follow Jesus. Well, I can remember that day so well. I was sitting on the bed in my dorm room, and I had pulled out my Bible. They had religion classes at Whitworth. I'd purchased a Bible for my class, and there it was, sitting on my bed. One of the girls from our dorm floor came in, walked into the room, looked at me with great surprise, and I'll never forget her words. She said to me, why are you reading that book? I can't believe it. I thought you were one of the cool ones. Well, have you ever been one of the cool ones or wanted to be? I wanted to be one of the cool ones, whatever that meant. And I made a denial that day with words that I can't even remember now. But even as I made them, there was this stirring in my heart. And I decided that in the year ahead, I would make a choice. Either I would choose Christ and give myself wholeheartedly to following him, or I would leave him behind and walk in another direction. I was at a point in my life where, like Peter, I was wondering, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? That's where Peter was as we enter our story today. Listen as I read the last part of the 21st chapter of John. And I'm reading today from the message, which is a paraphrase. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He then asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said, shepherd, my sheep. And then he said it a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset that he asked for a third time, do you love me? So he answered, master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I'm telling you the very truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished. But when you get old, you'll have to stretch out your hands while someone else dresses you and takes you where you don't want to go. He said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he commanded, follow me. Well, turning his head, Peter noticed the disciple Jesus loved following right behind. And when Peter noticed him, he asked Jesus, Master, what's going to happen to him? Jesus said, if I want him to live until I come again, what's that to you? You follow me. When they'd finished eating, Jesus turned to Peter, and he singled him out. He called him by name, and he asked, Do you love me? Has anyone asked that question to you? Has anyone asked you, Do you love me? 
Is it a question that we go around asking people? I don't think so. We ask that question, and we put our hearts on the line. We open ourselves to having someone respond by saying, No, I don't love you. But I think that when that question is asked, it's an invitation not just to words of love, but this life of connection and commitment. I think of what it means when a young man asks a young woman that question. And I understand that there's a great reluctance from men on this campus to do that. (laughs) That's a huge prayer request, men. I answered yes to that question when I was 18 years old. My husband asked me the question, and yes, my heart was pounding, and I was scared to death, and I was wondering what kind of crazy commitment I was getting into. But we have been married for over 26 years, so it worked. Now, I've wondered why Jesus asked Peter that question. Why didn't he just tell Peter how much he loved him, how glad he would be to forgive him? But then I thought, you know what, Peter already knew that. Jesus standing there with those scarred hands, with that shining face, with that gentle calling of his name, Peter knew that Jesus loved him. And I think perhaps Jesus was allowing Peter now to move from singing with his life, Jesus loves me, this I know to singing, I love you, Lord. Jesus had told his disciples that the most important call on their lives was to love the Lord their God with all their heart, strength, and soul, and might. And he was asking Peter, are you willing? Will you do that? I learned a lot about loving God from my dad. Maybe some of you have been fortunate to have that happen in your life, too. My dad had great faith, and he had a passion all his life to introduce others to Jesus. He talked, he traveled, he wrote. He had impressive accomplishments. And in his early 50s, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. I watched as gradually everything that he had done for Jesus. All the things that he had done were stripped away. And in the last year of his life, there was this one shining thing that was left. My dad became very quiet. He'd talked too much during his life. He hadn't listened enough. And in that last year of his life, there was an ability to listen. And this kind of love for others, for his Lord, a flame that grew brighter and brighter. And probably one of the most memorable experiences of my life was sitting in his memorial service as a young woman with a two-year-old child at my side, hearing all about his accomplishments as they eulogized him, and wanting to stand up and saying, wait, you know, those pale next to the love that he had for his Lord and for his friends in the last years of his life. 
That love provided him with a kind of deep trust in his Heavenly Father, which ultimately allowed him to relinquish his strong grip on the life he loved so dearly and turn his heart toward heaven. Whenever I get confused about what's important, I go back to that service, to that moment, and I remember what I understood so well in that time. Yes to loving Jesus. That's the answer my dad gave with his life, and that's the answer Peter gave. He said, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. And when he said that, Jesus provided him with a direction for his life. He gave him a plan for the future. He gave him a job description, and it was this, feed and care for sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear that with a bit of confusion because I'm not very familiar with sheep and shepherds. I think the common job description is one that does a couple of things in our lives. It allows us to make a difference. It allows us to do great things for God. It allows us to make enough money to be a success. And when I think about a job of caring and feeding for sheep, it sounds like a low-paying, humiliating kind of responsibility. Certainly no self-fulfillment there. Thanks, but no thanks, Jesus. Can you run through a few other options? I can remember hearing this passage for the first time in a way that spoke to my heart. It was a time in my own life when I was struggling with two young lambs. They were my own preschoolers. And I was doing an awful lot of feeding and caring for them. I was in the kitchen cooking meals for them and for others who spent time in our home. And when I spoke about Jesus, it was often in simple language, retelling stories my children could understand and praying so they could join in. And when I would go to a party or a social gathering and people would ask me, and June, what do you do? What line of work are you in? My heart would sink. What I seemed, what I was doing seemed pretty boring and pretty insignificant. And yet I heard this message, and it was an affirmation, and it was a challenge of Jesus to me. As you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. And it was as if Jesus was saying in my, in, to my life, to my heart, for this season in your life, these are the sheep that you're to pour your life into. Feed them. Protect them with your love. Nourish them with the word of God and prayer. Serve them and teach them to serve others for my sake. There will be other seasons and other sheep, but these are your sheep for now. And you know, I remembered, and I've since thought about frequently, that Jesus... Jesus was a shepherd. He called himself the good shepherd, knowing sheep by name and laying down his life for them. The shepherd that was desiring none to be in want. The shepherd in the business of restoring souls. As Jesus called Peter to be a shepherd and he called me to be a shepherd, he entrusted us with the same job that he was doing. Well, all of us struggle with who we're to be and what we're going to do with our lives that's significant, don't we? 
key issue for every single person. I read a, an article about Lee Iacocca in the Fortune magazine recently, a man who's had tremendous success in the world. And he said, what do guys like me do who've had the world by the string? I've got some notoriety, made some money in the car business. Now that chapter has closed, and I don't think much about cars anymore. You can plan everything in life, and then the roof caves in on you because you haven't done enough thinking about who you are and what you should do with the rest of your life. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? My father taught me about faith, but my mother also taught me an important lesson about that. It was 1967. I was living with my family in India and going to a boarding school up in the Himalayas. During my winter break, I went down to be with my family in Delhi, and my mom, who had a heart to serve, said, I see so many people hungry, needy, around me every day in the streets that I've decided I must choose something to, meet, to do to meet the need that I see. And so she was working at a home for destitute and dying on the outskirts of the city. It was one of Mother Teresa's homes, but it was the days before anyone had heard of Mother Teresa in our country. And so she said, come, come with me. And I went, and I will never forget the day that I first went there as a junior in high school. And I, I think the thing that I could best describe the experience was shock. A simple building, concrete floors, rows of cots, and people that were in various stages of illness near to death. And I wanted to just get out of there. It took me weeks before I could feel comfortable touching those people. And the thing that stood out most to me was the thought that these women, these sisters, have given their very lives to care for these people day after day, week after week, year after year. How could they do that? David McClendon has written in a psychological study that the source of joy that allows such service is a deep relationship with God. He says, take Mother Teresa as an example. The reason she can describe joy in picking worms off a homeless man who will die a few hours later is because that's the way she identifies with Jesus and the way he would want it. Now, today, there are people all over the world, not just believers, who would name Mother Teresa as one of the greatest living people. Why? Because she has shepherded and served so faithfully. She has given herself to the poorest and the sickest, gaining respect from a world that doesn't understand her values at all. And I would say that there is a danger here. Christ's call is to serve and love him, not to be Mother Teresa. And in each of our lives, his call will lead us to different sheep and a different place. And I was thinking in my own life, one of the great joys, marrying that man who asked me years ago, do you love me, has been the gift of living with a person who has a servant heart. My husband is a man that comes home and says, what do you need? What can I do? How can I help? 
And I got a letter in the mail yesterday from a family that we had helped 10 years ago. And they're coming home from a foreign country on furlough, and something that he had done has still been deeply appreciated by them. And I thought, you know, that's one of the joys of having a servant heart, that we can make a difference in just whatever way that service is given. Well, if you're willing, like Peter, to answer a service call from Jesus, what do you do? Where do you go? What sheep will be yours? Jesus didn't give Peter the details. But he said, follow me. How good are you at following? Is it easy for you to follow? I confess that this is something that I've often struggled with, and and I have a graphic example of why it's so important to choose the right person and follow them well. We were in Africa at Maasai Mara. We were going on a safari. My idea of safari is that you wander around into that tall grass on your own and you look for animals. Wrong. We got up very early in the morning and we were given a guide. He was a tall Maasai man. He carried a gun and a spear. He knew the country. He could show us where the indentations were in the grass. He could take us safely around those acacias. He was armed for our protection. He was our security. He set the direction. He explained and informed us along the way, informed along the way. He led us safely around a lion who was growling and eating at its prey. He encouraged us and he got us back to camp safely. Well, that day I could have wandered off by myself. That was a choice I could have made. Or I could have headed off behind someone who didn't know the way. But early in that Maasai Mora morning, I lined up behind that guide. And in my own life, I've learned that if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I need to line up behind him every day. For me, that's meant having a place of worship, a place in a church where I'm committed and connected and nurtured. It's meant the development of spiritual friendships and being part of a small group. It's meant finding places of service. And one of the things that it's also meant is that I do get up at 6 o'clock every morning and say, Lord, where do you want me to go today? I have a devotional guide. I have a very well-worn Bible. And I come to that time to listen. This week, I've been listening through Psalm 25. Part of that is a prayer that says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior. and My hope is in you all day long. Well, Jesus came to Peter that morning on the beach when Peter was uncertain about the future and wondering to do what to do with the rest of his life. Jesus touched him with love and challenged him to make love his aim as he followed him. I started with a story of friends in a Chicago nursing home, and I want to end with one in a Santa Barbara nursing home. I go each week to the Samarkand Nursing Center to give devotions. We circle up the walkers and the wheelchairs, 
We sing, I share a Bible story, we pray together, and I have to tell you that I have learned so much from my friends there, my friends who are in heaven's waiting room. They so graciously accept the love I offer them with comments like, I'm so glad to see you. I just love to hold your hand and see your smile. A lady yesterday held my hand and said, I just love the attention that you give me. And my favorite all-time line was from one woman who said when I was done, I'm deaf and I couldn't hear you, but I love your socks. (laughs) It's great, isn't it? (laughs) They're my teachers about life. They remind me what's really important. And sometimes, folks, it's more than socks. It's so hard for us, particularly right now when you're where you are, to keep the end in mind. But you know what? As I work with those people week after week, they help me to do that. Daniel Corrigan joined in our health center devotions after years of serving God as a a very distinguished Episcopalian bishop. Gradually, Alzheimer's disease had stripped him of much that he had used to help restore souls through years of ministry. But you know, even in that place, with his mind muddled, he was a shepherd. He had a love for the sheep that he lived with. And I'll never forget the days that he joined us in devotions. Yes, like many, he sometimes dozed. But at the end, I'd ask him to pronounce the benediction. And Daniel, who near the end couldn't even say a sentence straight in conversation, Daniel would rise from his chair. He'd spread out his arms, as he'd done for many years, and powerful words of blessing would miraculously come from his lips. He loved the Lord. He loved the sheep. And he continued to follow Jesus, and even when others dressed him and took him where he didn't want to go. Will we? Will we? I know that many of you are going through times of uncertainty and struggle and fear. Where will you live? What will you do? Who will you marry? Difficult decisions, important decisions. My prayer is that as you make your choices, you do so with a heart full of love for Jesus. That you'd hang on to him. You'd hang on to him. You'd follow him. And that you'd begin now, today, to care for his sheep in every way that you can. My dear friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, now and forever. Amen. June, thank you very much on behalf of the whole student body for being with us. Thank you, and you're dismissed.